Okay, it is now officially six o'clock, which means that our show is beginning. So welcome to Sync. Welcome back to Sync, a show where we talk about music and movies and television and other forms of media, how they got there, why they matter, and what they do to support the piece of media that they're in. So let's begin with the first song. This is actually, to my knowledge, only in BoJack Horseman, um, but I put it in there because I love this song. It's a St. Vincent song. Um, St. Vincent is a very cool artist. Um, would check, I'd go check them out. Um, but Los Angeles is just very, you know, it is a cynical song about Los Angeles, which is a super fun theme right now. That's everybody's favorite thing to write right now, apparently. I'll get to that way later. Um, but, 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 um, I don't know. I actually don't have much to say about that because it's just a good song and I wanted to set that out to start the playlist. So if anybody was re-listening or whatever, I think that sets the tone for the show very well. So let's just move on. That song came out in 2018, by the way. Um, It was in a 2018 episode of BoJack Horseman at the very beginning of season five. Um, Yeah, there's a bunch of swimming synchronized dolphins at that point. So, 10 out of 10 for that. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Let's move on. Um, So the next song is from La La Land. It is Mia and Sebastian's theme. It was composed by Justin Hurwitz. So the whole score to La La Land to me, like, I I feel like if you're not in Los Angeles to listen to the score, it doesn't really, like, it's not as compelling as it would be to listen to it in Los Angeles, if that makes any sense. Like, for me, this is such a beautiful song, and I think that, like, if you listen to City of Stars, I didn't want to put any vocals on, quote, score tracks, um, there, like, because I wanted to specifically highlight the score, but the City of Stars, like, just the piano is just so beautiful, and I think that it captures, like, very much the small, kind of quiet, romantic parts of Los Angeles that I don't think a lot of people see. I think Los Angeles is very flashy, like, if you think of the opening number of La La Land on the freeway, which the nightmare that that was to film, I don't even, I don't even know where to begin with that. But, um, yeah, I think that a lot, a lot of La La Land's score is very, highlights a different part of Los Angeles than perhaps we see all the time. And I think that this song in particular does appear a lot throughout the movie, um, I don't know. I don't particularly like the movie. It's not anything like against the composer or the songs. I think the songs are probably the best part of the film for me, but I, I don't know. It just feels, I think, honestly, I think that the whole situation with, um, uh, the Oscars and Moonlight, um, just kind of left a bad stain in everybody's like on the movie for everybody left a bad taste in everybody's mouth um it wasn't their fault that's the thing is like it wasn't their fault at all it was just uncomfortable um but yeah I don't know I don't know it's a good song that's the TLDR so um the next one I want to move into is Straight Outta Compton um which is a 2015 came out in 2015 and it talks about NWA and specifically NWA's experience of 
like Los Angeles and the LA hip hop and rap scene. And it was a whole situation to, um, there was, there was a lot of like controversy surrounding this film, which I don't particularly, um, see coming through in this actually at all. Like in, like, I don't know if there was royalty controversy, which I, like, I'm pretty sure there wasn't, but there was a lot of controversy, controversy about what was included and what was not included and the way that things are represented. And that happens a lot, um, in biopics or anything that is meant to represent, I guess, a real life historical figure or set of events. And I think that, here's the thing, is a lot of times in biopics, I did a whole show on this in the fall, they have people, like, sing over or do like it just doesn't work and they don't use the original music um and that makes sense a lot but um they do use a lot of and I believe all of um NWA's original music um I, I thought it would be cliche to put straight out of Compton in this I think Express Yourself is an incredibly iconic piece I think it means like I think it exemplifies a lot of what NWA like means to LA and the LA rap scene I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on that but yeah there was a whole casting call situation there was a whole like um filming situation um I don't know so many so many so many like incredible like people were like they tried to be very true to the film and like where things were set and how things were filmed and who was cast and then a lot of that was like derailed by people who were mad about it um yeah it was a lot so I don't know I'm not going to talk about it more on the internet just because like I don't want to like I don't know um I just don't want to be like problematic on the internet or anything like that um but NWA is iconic NWA exemplifies to me a lot of the Los Angeles um, rap scene, hip-hop scene. If we're going to talk Los Angeles versus New York, hip-hop and rap, NWA is where we want to be. So, And I think that that film in particular does a really good job of representing parts of NWA and parts of like the their relationship between NWA and Compton that is very integral in their music, like... NWA talks a lot about being from Compton, coming from Los Angeles, like their experiences. So I think the film does a really good job at marrying those two things. Um, Sorry. Next is Valley Girl, which is just a wild and um, like just a wild movie. Um, But yeah, so that's Who Can It Be Now by um, Men at Work. And that movie came out in 1983, I believe. Um, but yeah, it's a rom-com. I think it's based on Romeo and Juliet. I have no idea, but it's, like, very, it's just funny. It's, like, there's a valley girl, but, like, she's, like, confused about her relationship. Like, it's just very, like, teen movie, very, like, kind of classic setup. Um, there's a little bit of, like, a, uh, uh, I don't know. It's just, like, very, I don't want to say cliche, um, but it alludes a lot to, like, other 
uh, film set in Los Angeles. So like we're going to talk about The Graduate later. Um, but I, I think one of the huge points in this film that like stands out to me today is like that scene, the, one of the last scenes of the movie, like mirrors a scene from The Graduate. Like it's essentially like the same setup and everything. Um, and it's wonderful. So yeah, I don't know. Um, I think Men at Work, 80s, like very, it just works really well. I think that this is an incredible placement for this song. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of like, I'm thinking about the movie a lot now and I want to rewatch it. So I'm kind of scatterbrained about that. But I think that the whole idea of L.A. as a kind of playground for teenagers is something we're definitely going to explore later um, with Minor 2 and O and the O.C. and, like, Fresh Prince even. Um, but I think that this really sets up a lot of that for specific other um, pieces of work that come later. Um, I don't know. I've actually never met anybody else who's seen Valley Girl. I think I watched it because it was set in Los Angeles because I love media that's set in Los Angeles. I think it's fascinating. Um, and that's part of the reason why I love so many of the things I'm going to talk about today is because they're set in Los Angeles. And I think a big thing with talking about Los Angeles and media is whether or not you're going to like satirize it or you're going to try and be true to it. And I think we're like films and TV shows about Los Angeles shine is when they can intersect those two things. So we can tell truths through um, satire and through maybe jokes. And yes, I am thoroughly alluding to Bojack Horseman, um, but we'll get there. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It makes a lot of sense to me to have this sort of playful take on LA because LA is seen as this like from an outsider perspective, a lot of people call it fake. Ellie's full of fake people. The whole town's like a movie set. Like, it's it's just all about impressing other people and making, like, curating the best life. This is, like, things I've heard from other people, like, stereotypes, um, which I don't really like. I don't really agree with. I think that if you have those stereotypes about Los Angeles, you've never been to Los Angeles, which means that they have to come through media and other people's personal experiences. Um, or you've just been to the wrong places in Los Angeles when you came. Like, that was just not the move. Um, but I definitely think that, uh, a good film about Los Angeles doesn't use LA as the, I guess, um, uh, <laughs> how do I say this? It's not the reason why things are silly. You know what I mean? Like the fake people and the fake world, like that is not the plot. It's teenagers using that as like, in a, like it's a free town and so they can do whatever they want because it's a land of opportunity kind of situation um and then the flip side of that obviously is like when LA is like a place that is capable of much darker things which we'll get into um but I think the ecosystem of this city is very unique and I think that good media knows how to use that and knows that setting something in Los Angeles isn't just, like, a cheap way to film. Like, it isn't just, like, oh, like, we'll just film it in L.A. Like, it's fine. Um, no, I think a good film about, and that sets, like, that makes a very conscious choice to be set in Los Angeles, interacts with the, like, ecosystem and the character of the city. So I think that Valley Girl is a very good example of, like, being able to use the city as, like, a playground, um, that is, like, definitely a huge thing for teenage television and movies that will come later. But, 
yeah, I don't know. I, I like it a lot. I want to rewatch it. Anyway, let's move on. The OC. So the OC is not technically set in Los Angeles. Uh, neither is Arrested Development, which I'll get to later. Um, but the OC, to me, is classic. Now, the OC was not actually filmed in Orange County for the most part. It was filmed in, like, the be- the beach cities and in Torrance. So that is a very interesting move but also the background for the OC is very classic and many many people believe it was filmed in Orange County so like 10 out of 10 which I don't understand because Orange County isn't by the ocean but like whatever um but I don't know I think the OC so this is the California Phantom Planet song opening theme absolute classic like I adore this song I will listen to the song on its own all the time I drive to the song it's fantastic 10 out of 10 um but I think that the song really epitomizes the show it's another one where teenagers are using the city as like a source of freedom and a source of liberation and like being able to go on long drives and go to the diner and like kiss on the pier like it's a very uh scenic uh it's it's a nice setting for the events that transpire but I think as opposed to Valley Girl it's not as reliant on Los Angeles to create a storyline um but I think that this song in particular it just gets it it is that like kind of surfer rock kind of beach rock very carefree feels to me this song feels like driving in a convertible I don't know why it just feels like that I don't know it just very viscerally feels like that to me um I don't know. I think it just very much epitomizes the show and it epitomizes that part of the city that people decide to use. Like, I love to compare the OC and Gossip Girl because the OC to me is like a way less high stakes version of Gossip Girl. And I think that that speaks to the fact that it is set in Los Angeles and not in New York, which a lot of people don't see Los Angeles as a high stakes city. So you can definitely sell that concept when it's like teenagers using it as opposed to like Gossip Girl where like not only are their lives more high stakes although arguably like the OC is filled with rich people with high stakes lives so I don't know but like that is very like dramatized in Gossip Girl and part of that is due to the fact that they're in this huge city it's bustling it's stressful but like the OC takes a very different take on Los Angeles because it's uses the beach and the sort of kind of surfer rock and like definitely sets the scene to be less quote-unquote serious than something like Gossip Girl but yeah I don't know it just feels very chill I don't know um but yeah I love that it makes me feel happy 10 out of 10 for that um next we have Bojack Horseman so this is my favorite show I'm going to talk about because not only is it one of my favorite shows but I think that this show understands Los Angeles in an incredibly unique and special way. I think that this show is, like, I don't want to sit here and just rant about BoJack, but I think that this show uses satire. Like, it is a show about um, anthropomorphic creatures and animals and humans living in harmony in Los Angeles, and, like, the main character is a drunk, alcoholic, addict, ex-sitcom star. So, like, that's the premise. Just, like, take that and run. You know what I mean? But it definitely uses L.A. as a catalyst for a lot of people's bad behavior that they can get away with. 
as like in the forms of either like enabling and um, excusing bad behavior, but also a way that's like work as a distraction. Like if you have seen the show and you look at like Princess Carolyn, like the way that the city drives itself is absolutely through distraction. And Bojack is all about distraction and it utilizes the distraction that Los Angeles in particular has in those two different forms and other forms too. But um, LA, there's a quote that's like, um, uh, it's the tar pit quote, if you know what I'm talking about. They're at the La Brea tar pits and they're like, um, sometimes, shoot, I don't know. I don't want to find it right now. Actually, I am going to find it right now. LA tar pit quote, Bojack. Um, I don't know. Like it's set in very real places. Um, no. Uh, so they say, so a character named Charlotte basically says, um, at the beginning, like, um, I think LA is a tar pit. Like it just kind of like takes you over and sucks you up. And then like we jump, like, I think 20 years later and she sees Bojack again. And she says, no, LA is not the tar pit. You're the tar pit. Like T-A-R space P-I-T, like La Brea tar pits. But, um, which is a very, like, large tourist attraction in L.A., if you are not aware. And I think that kind of epitomizes the way that the show uses the city because if something is... If you're going to blame yourself for where... Like, if you're going to blame where you are on who you are, that's not the move. Like, and Raphael Bob Waxberg has made that very clear, um... If you just Google move across the country, Raphael Bob Waxberg, or if you even Google move across the country, Bojack, it will come up. And uh, that short story destroyed my life um, in a very, you know, it's casual. Um, But I definitely think that the whole setting of Los Angeles in that as like people assume that LA is a tar pit that like can just suck you dry and like you find yourself in this pit and you can't get out but like turns out that like maybe like you stepped in the tar pit or like you're the tar pit like you have to sit and examine yourself and yes where you live absolutely has an impact on you but it doesn't make you 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 know like it can shape the way you think about things but you can't blame your bad behavior you can't blame your happiness or rely on a place for your happiness so yeah I don't know. Uh, The songs I included were were I Will Always Think of You, just because it's an original song for the show. Um, I think it's very beautiful. I think that... I'm not going to give the context for that episode because it's a very long story, Um, but it's cute um, and really sad if you've seen the show. And then there's A Horse With No Name, which is a gorgeous cover, gorgeous cover, um, and it plays when actually Bojack's trying to escape L.A. Um, And... I mean, Bojack's a horse, so, like, that's very literal, but it takes a lot of energy and effort to get depleted the way that Bojack was, and this is, like, his escape song is becoming nameless and faceless and just completely disappearing, so, like, that makes a statement, as I was saying before. Anyway, let's move on to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Now, I have not seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit for a while um like a really long time um it's an interesting movie it is an interesting um situation uh 
It came out in 1988, I believe. Uh, this song is hilarious. It's not hilarious, but, like, if you listen to it, it's kind of, like, I don't want to say funny. Um, it's directed by one of my favorite people. Um, like, well, there's, there's an animation director, I think. Um, and then it's Robert Zemeckis, who directed my one of my favorite movies of all time, Contact. What? What? I'm not going to bring up Contact ever again. Um, anyway, um, but I definitely think that this is a very interesting film because it's like hi this is a cartoon uh film and then it's like oh roger rabbit is accused of murdering somebody so like we have to get him through the uh lawsuit where that sort of thing happens um so this is a interesting if you listen to that knowing like the context that this is an incredibly like dark um film about like cartoon characters i think it's kind of funny but also the movie itself is not funny at all um there's a couple of questionable things that occur through this film so like i would not fully um endorse it uh i do endorse robert zemeckis but like you know it's not like my favorite film of all time but i do think the way that it utilizes la as a backdrop that also influences the story but the 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 show is not about or the movie's not about LA. Like Bojack is kind of about LA. Like if you look into it, um but this is not at all. Like but I think that the people that are in it are absolutely sort of I don't want to say caricatures, but they're very clearly influenced by the quote LA lifestyle. So take that as you will. Yeah. Um so all right. I want to move on to everybody's favorite uh director writer and director uh who loves los angeles a lot um an interesting person an interesting person um one of my top favorite movies of all time is written directed by this human being um that would be uh kill bill volume two two let's just let's say that again kill bill volume two um but i absolutely believe that uh, Quentin Tarantino has a huge passion for Los Angeles. I don't really know why. I believe he's from LA, um, but I absolutely think that... So, he's made two very prominent movies about Los Angeles. That's Pulp Fiction, 1994, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 1994? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which came out last year. Um, I actually think the difference between these two films is unreal, like, listen, so, uh, Pulp Fiction is a very good film, I really like it, um, it definitely utilizes LA as a backdrop as a lot, a lot more than, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which attempts to interact with the city in the most bizarre way I have ever seen in my entire life, but we'll get to that. Pulp Fiction, on the other hand, like, makes some good commentary about, like, how LA is, like, the sort of under- lying situations that exist in LA and like the way that LA can kind of quote change people and the way that like when Mia is like doing drugs like that's a very very quote LA kind of thing um I don't know it's very um interesting to me oh shoot I forgot to say uh I'm gonna go back sorry um this is a I forgot the 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 um the fact that um Alan Silvestri 
the absolute love of my life, that's a joke, um, scored for Robert Zemeckis. Now, is that a little bit of foreshadowing to, I don't know, the movie Contact? Absolutely. But in, for Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I believe. Yes. Because the merry-go-round broke down, that's on here, is Charles Fleischer. But, hold on. Yeah. So, Alan Silvestri worked with Robert Zemeckis on that, which we love. We love to see it. I love Alan Silvestri so much. Anyway, let's go back to, um, sorry. Let's go back to, um, Pulp Fiction. So, I don't know. I feel weird about that whole situation, kind of. Like, I, I don't particularly understand why Once Upon a Time in Hollywood specifically, like, the way that that interacts with Los Angeles, like, it tries to mix the dying sort of Western uh, old Hollywood situation with, like, Brad Pitt and uh, Leo. Also mixes it with the Sharon Tate, like, Manson family murder situation. And then, spoiler alert, if you have not seen it, Sharon Tate, like, lives. But, like the it's just bizarre and like I don't particularly understand it my biggest problem with it is that it's a very romanticized view of Los Angeles and I think that's like not a very uncommon situation like that's not just exclusive to this film but I would I I just I know I don't understand why because you have Pulp Fiction which came out what 15 years earlier that like no 25 years earlier what yeah, 25 years earlier, 26 years early, 25. Okay, well, math. That came out 25, I think, years earlier and is completely the opposite of that. Like, it is not trying to romanticize L.A. at all. It's saying, hi, like, L.A. basically contributed to Mia Wallace overdosing on drugs. Like, that sort of thing. Like, that's, uh, I have Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon on this playlist uh, referring to Pulp Fiction because that is the song that I'm mentioning in that scene. Um, and I think that that is a very interesting song choice. I really like it. I think it works really well. Um, it's a weird song on its own, but I think it works really well in the scene. I mean, I could have put, um, uh, Chuck Berry in here, but I decided not to because I played Chuck Berry and I think, what, one, two, three, I think I've played Chuck Berry in three, uh, separate, um, or two, I guess, separate, uh, shows thus far. So we're not going to be doing that right now, but yeah, I think that that's a very pivotal moment in the film, specifically if we're going to talk about how Los Angeles kind of messes people up. And then I added Mrs. Robinson. Now, I'm going to talk about The Graduate, so you might be saying, why would you put Mrs. Robinson here and not for The Graduate? Here's why. Because I think that this film was, this is a conspiracy theory, I think this film was heavily influenced by The Graduate. I don't know why I think that, I think The Graduate has influenced a lot of films about Los Angeles, which is interesting, because I'm going to say this about The Graduate later, but I don't think that that film is driven by Los Angeles almost at all. Like, it's a, it's an important part of the story, but it doesn't drive the narrative. Like, it's not the thing that creates these characters, etc. So, I'm not entirely sure why uh, it's like that, but uh, it is like that. Um, I don't know. I think that Mrs. Robinson being included in this, I think... I want to say, I mean, unless I completely messed it up, but, like, I remember the scene 
Unless it was just a completely, I don't know. Maybe I messed it up. No, I'm going to check. I'm going to check. I can't be wrong. Okay, well, this is not it. Right? I'm like, yeah, no, I was like, I remember the scene. Why would you use, like, I, I'm going to tell you the story about the whole quote-unquote fiasco behind um, the graduate in a moment, but, like, I am very confused as to why Mrs. Robinson was using that film. The whole film confuses me. I don't understand why romanticizing old Hollywood is, like, this beautiful, like, oh, I wish we could go back to old Hollywood when things are simpler, but then also it's like, oh, yeah, let's villainize Bruce Lee for literally no reason and then give his family, like, grounds to sue, which, like, is what happened. Um, I don't know. I don't understand it. It's a personal thing. Again, I said before, like, I like Tarantino movies, kind of. Like, I'm very picky about them. I don't really know. It's kind of confusing. I really like the ones that are set in, like, I like Pulp Fiction because it's set in Los Angeles and because I think it interacts with the city really well. I like Kill Bill, just volume two, because I think that the cinematography in that is, like, one of the best things I've ever seen. Like, I don't know, it, I just think about her, like, being buried alive and trying to get out of it, and I love that scene so much from, like, a film perspective. Um, and I love the whole, 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 like, part where she's, like, talking to Bill, etc. The whole ending of that, I just love um, but, like, after Pulp Fiction, or, sorry, after Kill Bill Volume 2, I just kind of got lost. It kind of got lost on me. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Anyway, we can move on. Um, but, yeah, so this is Mulholland Drive, I believe, is next. Yes. So, Mulholland Drive came out in 2001, which, I don't know. It's a David Lynch film. Um, and, in all honesty... It's a bizarre film as well, because it's, like, absolutely, like, it, it, it feels very, like, almost out of body to me. It is a bizarre film, and not in a bad way, but I think it's supposed to be, like, very, like, mind-blowing, very difficult, that kind of thing, and I don't think it is about the characters as much as it is about Hollywood. I think that it is about trying to chase a endless dream that you don't really know how to reach and you don't really know how to, like, you. it's like a horrible, horrible illusion that you fall under the spell of that you can never actually achieve. And I think that it uses Hollywood really well and it uses the beauty and the magic of Hollywood and in this film it is framed as sort of something negative like almost like a siren like a siren call um and I definitely think that there's definitely some skepticism um involved with that interpretation like I don't I, maybe that's a very narcissist wow maybe that's a very negative or pessimistic view of um that but I don't know I really like this film I really like this as well I might rewatch this as well um, but yeah, I don't know, it's just very, like, I don't really know what else to say, I think that this, like, Bring It On Home is such a cool song, and I said this before, a lot of times, um, older songs, quote-unquote, and older, like, I said this in, uh, I think on Money episode, I know, I said this in both episodes, older songs with a very specific sound are used a lot 
to score like kind of darker more uh introspective moments because they're kind of accessible like and when they're used as i said that as i said in the money episode the money power glory episode um uh it's used to be kind of accessible and sort of like uh i don't want to say nostalgic but it's like people get to break from their big kind of personas and then in um the first uh in scoring space i talked about it as like something that is a nostalgia thing so i definitely think that like bring it on home is used very well in this in order to create this like almost like i don't know i'm going to talk about this in two like in two songs i will talk about this as well but i definitely think that that genre of music is wonderfully used in this film specifically because it creates a a yearning and a longing and like a a, a dreaming for something that isn't there um I don't want to say nostalgia exactly but it's almost like nostalgia for something you've never experienced I think that's the best way I could describe this genre of music used in films I don't want to say in general because it's not always the case but at least from what I've talked about so far it is pretty much along the lines of let's utilize this genre in order to create um a soundscape and an atmosphere that feels like nostalgia that never actually happened so a dream that can never actually be touched i love mulholland drive everybody should watch it anyway um i haven't seen it in so long oh my gosh so next we have the Big Lebowski, which was set in nineteen nine or which came out in nineteen ninety eight. Um, and the song I have from that is the Spanish mix of Hotel California. It's a Gypsy King song. Um, I don't know what Spanish mix totally means. I love this version of Hotel California. I think, arguably, it is better than the Eagles version. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that like. It's a whole. It's just, I don't think it's totally one, like, I don't know. It's use in this is questionable considering the context. However, I think that this is like the best like version of the song that is out there. Sorry, Eagles. I love you so much. Uh, peaceful, easy feeling, wonderful song. Um, however, comma, this version of Hotel California is next level good. Um, Big Lebowski, you know, like mistaken identity, whole crime situation etc. Um, this is definitely used in a very dramatic way. Um, I don't know. It's really good. I just really like this version of the song. I think it's utilized really well. Um, I think the Big Lebowski utilizes LA kind of in the same way that Pulp Fiction does. And even a little bit in like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I know they're all about like crime, but still I think that it uses, this uses Los Angeles in my, in my personal opinion, a lot less than, uh, the other two I've talked about, um, and I said Who Framed Roger Rabbit doesn't use it that much uh, anyway, so I think that, like, inclusions of music, there are a couple songs on this soundtrack that use music in order to, I guess, tell, remind everybody that it's set in Los Angeles, but the setting and, sorry, the setting and the scenery for this, um, it makes beautiful visual use of Los Angeles, so even though it's not, like, driven as much by Los Angeles as some of the other things I've talked about. I think it's wonderful. Sorry, I'm going, I'm not going very out of order. I just have a lot of things to say and I don't really want to go in order because this is just not a, I don't, I don't really, I tried to like, uh, 
fiddle with a progression here and I just couldn't find one so I'm just gonna keep talking I tried I'm sorry I tried to order these and I just didn't it just didn't seem like fruitful so I just stopped um sorry I have to cough hold on <coughs> I'm not sick I have you know what let's not worry about that um so next I'm going to talk about American Horror Story now American Horror Story I believe uh Murder House um uh Hotel Apocalypse and um, 1984 are all set in various parts of Los Angeles. Uh, Apocalypse is a questionable, but it definitely starts out, it starts out, like, in Santa Monica, so, like, got it. Um, but it definitely makes use of Los Angeles in very different ways. I was gonna put a song from Murder House, but I thought this was a very, um, pivotal moment in American Horror Story Hotel that I just, I think the way that Hotel uses, uh, Los Angeles and it, the history of Los Angeles and the dark history of Los Angeles is absolutely gorgeous. Like, I adore it. Um, so I used, I did Sweet Jane by Cowboy Junkies, which is a really good song. I really like this song. Um, but the context that it's used in the film is they're actually at the Hotel Cortez, which is where there's the hotel from, in the film, in the show, uh, is the Hotel Cortez, which is where the whole thing, the whole season basically takes place in this hotel. Um, and it is a dead man who's a ghost, but nobody knows he's a ghost. And he invites all these famous, like, serial killers to his Devil's Night dinner. So, like, Devil's Night is November 30th for him, I believe. Or October 30th for him, I believe. The day before Halloween. And they, it's like Eileen Warnos, John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, uh, I don't think Ted Bundy's there. But, uh, uh, the Zodiac Killer like, just a fun and lively group of human beings, but the most important person, I don't want to say important, but, like, the most uh, prominent person that's there is Richard Ramirez, and so when Ryan Murphy was creating American Horror Story Hotel, this is his story, um, he based the hotel off of a hotel where Ramirez actually camped out and, like, was actively murdering people while he was living at this hotel when he was active, and so, like, uh, LA history shapes seasons of American Horror Story so deeply, like, Murder House, like, I can drive to the Murder House right now, it's still, like, it's there, and, like, a lot of the lore that's in Murder House is, like, lore about other houses in Los Angeles, like, there's one in Los Feliz that I went to as well that is, like, has the, some of the lore that is in American Horror Story Murder House as, as plot, and I think that that is really cool and special because, I don't know, it, it, a lot of shows use, and movies use things that happened in Los Angeles to create their own narrative, which is kind of what Ryan Murphy is doing, but Ryan Murphy definitely knows how to pay homage to what happened, as opposed to just sort of using it as a plot device, which I think is kind of cool. Um, Hotel is an interesting season, um, for sure, but it definitely, definitely takes place in the heart of Los Angeles and as a heart of Los Angeles. Um, if you look up the Eliza Lamb case, which I do not recommend you do, but if you are aware of the Eliza Lamb case, that is the hotel that I'm talking about. Like, that hotel is straight up haunted and everybody knows it. It was a hostel for a while. I have no idea what it is now. Like, it's just... It, 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 
people don't trust it. Um, so it's been like 8,000 different types of like places to stay in like 10 years. So it's definitely sus, but like Ryan Murphy definitely was like, oh yeah, that's the hotel. We'll put Richard Ramirez in it. He brought Richard Ramirez back for 1984. Like, I don't know. I love it. Anyway, that song is fantastic. Um, we're going to move on to Euphoria, which came out last year. Um, I wanted to talk about Euphoria because it's not actually set in a specific place in Los Angeles, but it is set in a unknown suburb of Los Angeles. So I included My Body as a Cage because that's a very pivotal song. Um, in the show, I'm not going to, no spoilers, but if you know, you know. And then I included All For Us because that was Zendaya and Labyrinth, but I mostly want to talk about Labyrinth. So Labyrinth is not a classical composer, if you, like, want to put that in. If you want to put people in boxes, Labyrinth is not a classical composer. Labyrinth is more of a, I guess, like, he's his own artist. He creates his own music. He's a, his own producer. Like, he's awesome. But he managed to create the score for a very specific sector of teenage angelinos i guess is the way to say it where there's instrumentation but there's also a lot of vocalizing and it doesn't it has hip-hop influence it has like pop influence and it's not like there's a good combination between um selected songs and uh just uh licensed songs and then also labyrinth score and so his score blends very seamlessly in with these songs but they're used like, they are incredibly useful in creating different soundscapes for different characters, which, I don't know, a lot of television scores I've heard in my horrifying amount of watch time for television shows um, is the fact that a lot of TV scoring is not very character-specific, and I think Euphoria and Labyrinth do a very good job at creating soundscapes for each different character. And, like, I don't know if... Like, I didn't particularly notice it that much until the album came out, and then I went back and rewatched it, and I was like, oh, he really made whole separate soundscapes for each character, which is important in the context of Euphoria because the episodes are done by character. Um, but what I think is really special about that is that that's a sector of... That's a very specific sound for teenagers that I've never heard before. Um... If we're going to look at the OC or Gossip Girl, it's a lot of pop. It's very dependent on, like, uh, the location that it's set in. Like, New York is a definitely has a, like, Florence and the Machine, Lady Gaga, like, Coldplay set in um, for Gossip Girl. And then for um, the OC, you have, like, Beach Boys, Phantom Planet. Like, uh, I think there's, um, uh, ha ha ha, who sang Blister in the Sun? I'm just, I'm... You know what I mean? Like, it's a more, like, rock kind of chill vibes, cool, great, like, 90s rock kind of thing. <clears throat> Sorry. But Euphoria is like, no, no. We're gonna mix older songs with newer songs with, like, random genres of songs, but we're gonna tie it all in with the score that is not traditional score that is character-specific and utilizes vocals so it can combine everything. I think the Euphoria score is one of the most amazing things I've ever heard on television. I'm going to move on because I could talk about this forever, but whatever. Um, Clueless, 1995. Yes, I love Clueless. It is a classic. Classic. It's also um, uh, influenced by the book Emma, which I was named after. So uh, 
I'm obligated to like Clueless. That's a joke. Um, but I don't know. I included Roland with my homies just because it's like a funny running joke in uh, the film. But I think uh, similar to um, Valley Girl, Clueless uses L.A. as kind of a playground. Specifically because everybody in Clueless is R-I-C-H rich. And um, definitely there's a little bit of discussion about class in that. But, like, is there really? Like, not really. Like, mm. But, I don't know. It does a very good job at making Los Angeles be a playground, specifically where they live in Los Angeles. Like, it is just their whole world, and they have endless possibilities. And, like, yet they're so tied up in their own situation. I don't know. Clueless definitely utilizes Los Los Angeles in a specific way. Oh, my gosh. I have so many more to go. Wow. Aren't you excited? Love that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think it's cool. I think it works. I don't know. I like it. Um, I don't have much more to say about Clueless. I think Clueless and 10 Things I Hate About You um, are kind of similar in the vein that like they utilize the space that they're in to create like who they are a little bit. Like 10 Things I Hate About You is set in Seattle or outside of Seattle, I think. Um, and and the city is, like, a playground, but it's not, like, super integral to the storyline. It's just, like, very clear that being set there is important. So it definitely makes it... Like, I think if Clueless were set anywhere else, like, it wouldn't make as much sense with the narrative that they decided to choose. Like, or that they wrote out for the characters. I don't know. Cher is absolutely a product of her environment, and that is very obvious. And I probably would not have come through if it were set anywhere else, but... Anyway, if you look at, like, Cher versus, like, Boyer Waldorf, you can just, like, see what I'm talking about. Anyway. Sorry. Oh my gosh, I am talking a lot. My throat is dry. Um, alright, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I actually don't have much to say about this, because a lot of Fresh Prince is not, um, is, is, like, various sort of sitcom riffs, and there aren't a lot of, like, song songs in it, but the theme to Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is absolutely iconic and once again it encapsulates a lot of the the um essence of the show which as all good tv themes should like if your tv theme does not uh if your I guess title main title song does not encapsulate what the show is about what's the point you know what I mean I think it should anyway um it's very in place like He's like, yep, somehow I managed to find myself in Bel Air. This is who I am. I'm gonna, like, not only rap in, like, my style, but, like, I'm gonna talk about things that, like, I'm gonna talk about my life, I'm gonna talk about my story, and I'm gonna talk about this wild place called Bel Air that, like, this is the what you're gonna learn as an audience. Like, this is, you're gonna follow me on this journey, literally by me telling my story every single episode to explore Bel Air, figure out what it means, how I connect with it, how I can, like, use it in my life, how it will influence me, and, like, I don't know, I just really like the show, I think it's great, um, yeah, I don't know, I don't have much to say about it, that was about it, um, but yeah, uh, next we have Boogie Nights, oof, oof, okay, so Boogie Nights, in my opinion, is probably, listen, so, uh, okay, so, yeah, uh, 1997, I believe it came out, um, but yeah, uh, the song I chose from this was Jungle Fever, um, so Boogie Nights has its 
whole own soundtrack. So, like, 100%, go listen to the whole soundtrack if you haven't. If you haven't listened to the soundtrack and have seen Boogie Nights, I don't know why you haven't listened to the soundtrack, because it's absolutely iconic. If you have not seen Boogie Nights, that if you have not seen Boogie Nights and you have you have listened to the soundtrack, go watch it. It's fantastic. Um, but it is my favorite PTA movie. Um, I'm not gonna lie. Sorry, Phantom Thread. Um, I really like it. It definitely utilizes um, Los Angeles a lot, uh, in my opinion. Um, it talks about like the, I guess, quote, seedier unquote. Jesus, um, seedier, unquote, underbelly of Los Angeles, um, and I think that it doesn't really talk about it in a negative way, if that makes any sense, like, it's not like, ooh, we are sex negative, like, ooh, this is not great, um, but then it sort of goes, it talks about drug use again, and I think that, like, films that talk about drug use that are set in Los Angeles, as I've said before, Pulp Fiction, etc., like, are very, very interesting, and they definitely make a point to include Los Angeles in the narrative that are, or that is about that specific topic, um, but yeah, I don't know, it just, I don't want to say it, it, like, ends, quote, happily, unquote, because it doesn't, but it, I don't know, I just think it utilizes Los Angeles in such a specific way, that allows them to use the city to their advantage and understand what it can do for them, which is why it potentially pans out that way. However, comma, there's also, like, a lot of, like, violence, a lot of fighting, a lot of, like, shady things occurring, um, and I think that there's absolutely a need to acknowledge that in the film, and I think that it acknowledges it very well specifically not only with um the soundtrack but really with the cinematography as well i don't know it's a it's a great it's a great film 10 out of 10 would recommend next uh i have valley of the dolls so oof if this is not one of my favorite films i know i keep saying this um but so valley of the dolls came out in 1967 um and oof so listen so, this is sort of one of the, obviously it's, like, one of the, like, darkest, like, darkest anything about, like, Los Angeles I've ever, like, I guess, uh, 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 seen in my life. It talks about how, like, Los Angeles literally treats, like, women as, like, objects, like, they're trying to be stars, what can they do? But then it's, like, they fall into, like, specific drugs that are seen as, like, what kind of has to happen. And then there's, like, all this, like, there's a lot of exploration of femininity in a world that, like, you need to both utilize your femininity to get ahead. However, you can't really be a stereotypical woman, if that makes any sense. Like, you can't, like, you, you are not, I don't know. It, it, does that make sense? I don't want to be like, issues involving women, like, feeling, like, a lot of the women in this are legal just, quote, crazy because they have emotions or, like, that kind of thing, and that actually leads them to 
get even more down on themselves and like make things a lot worse and I, I don't want to say spoiler alert because the movie came out in 1967 but like it ends really poorly and like there's this definite definite balance of um how people I guess like manage like femininity and the whole pressure of that uh line that people have to cross or not cross is Hollywood is the city and the product of the city and the way that the city has created the men that are in charge and the way that the city sort of forces these women to kind of like um Mulholland Drive question mark like dream for something that doesn't exist and dream for a sort of life of happiness that you have to sacrifice your happiness to think that you are going to achieve your happiness if that makes any sense um but yeah great movie great film would recommend um, I'm going to move on to The Graduate. Yay! Okay, so The Graduate soundtrack is one of my favorite things to talk about in my entire life. So, uh, yeah. I think that this is an absolutely bizarre situation. So, I don't know. So, uh, who was it? Who was, was it the editor? Or was it yeah, okay, so the, uh, yeah, so, everybody, Simon and Garfunkel, I believe, came very, became very famous from the Graduate soundtrack. I think that is how they sort of psh, launched their career. However, comma, they were not supposed to be in the film. They were put in there as a temp track for editing purposes, to, like, do pacing, and then, like, Nichols was like, oh, yeah, you know what? That's what we're gonna do. Let's get all, let's get Simon and Garfunkel to write everything, or we'll take some of their existing songs, and that's gonna be it. That's gonna be how we're gonna do it. So, like, I, I don't actually know if they had, um, a composer that they fired or not. I have no idea. I know I talked about it a while ago, um, but, 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 I don't know. I think it's wild. It's, like, could you imagine just being, like, just using a temp track and being, like, oh, you know what, like, let's just actually just, just, just cancel everything else, like, let's just get all of it, just get, just get Simon and Garfunkel's, like, all the, all the music they want to give us, oh, and also ask them to write stuff, too, that'd be great, um, sound, sound bizarre, because it's actually not bizarre, people do this all the time, uh, Space Odyssey, 2001 Space Odyssey, composer, fired, because Stanley Kubrick was, like, excuse me, because he was, like, oh, um, yeah, that's, a. Uh, no, I, I like these temp tracks better. Sorry. Fired. I don't understand it, but you know what? It worked out really well. It turned out really well, so yay. I included Scarborough Fair because the scene in The Graduate with Scarborough Fair is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Um, I think the drive in that does a really good job at showing. I don't know. It's just pretty. It's just a really good... I don't know. I like it. I think that the film uses Los Angeles in a very odd and specific way, which is why I was kind of confused as to why Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and, um, Valley Girl both utilized, like, definitely took cues from this film, and so I'm kind of like, hmm, interesting. Like, the film is about a lot more than Los Angeles, and I would actually argue that Los Angeles is not a huge central point in the film at all. However, it's good. Like, it's all fine. Like, I don't know. It's just really great. Anyway, Mrs. Robinson is about, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
you can read that for yourself because there's a lot of debate as to whether or not they intended it for it to be uh, uh, Joe DiMaggio and uh, Mrs. Roosevelt. However, comma, they're like, no, just kidding. Uh, that was an old song. Now it's called Mrs. Robinson. So enjoy that song. It'll be great. It's a good song. Um, next, we have a tribute to people in my life. Uh, Beverly Hills 90210 started airing in 1990. Um I included the theme because I just think it's really iconic. Uh, Beverly Hills 90210 absolutely set the scene for teenagers treating Los Angeles as their total playground. Like, just being like, oh, look at the city. So big. So beautiful. Nothing bad could ever happen here. So, like, let's just go do crazy stuff. Let's just go off the rails. And uh, Los Angeles is absolutely used as a backdrop to make these people look as unattainably beautiful as possible. I'm not trying to be like disrespectful but i would absolutely say that this is if you're going to utilize los angeles for anything and you're going to talk about it as like if we're going to not to bring up bojack horseman again but if we're going to use los angeles as a thing that's ugly in bojack horseman beverly hills 90210 is like no los angeles is beautiful and we're going to make it beautiful and everybody in the show is going to be beautiful and everything is going to be wrapped up in a little bit happy ending yay little, little relationship drama yay um but yeah, I definitely think LA is used in Beverly Hills 90210 as an opportunity for endless, I guess, happiness and endless freedom. And it, as opposed to Clueless, which would sort of like the characters definitely still, yeah, like they're influenced by being where they are, but they're definitely still their own characters. Like they're a product of their own environment, but the plot is like, doesn't interact with the environment as much as the characters, like, rely on each other, etc., for plot reasons. I'd say Beverly Hills 90210, even though I've not seen all of it, I've seen a lot of the show. Um, yeah. And, uh, I would definitely say that L.A. drives a lot of the plot in that show because it's pretty and because it works to make other people look pretty. You know? Does that make sense? I don't know. I'm gonna move on. Um, I have three more to go so bear with me next is <laughs> a beautiful show curb your enthusiasm now i just included the theme from curb your enthusiasm because it's absolutely iconic um curb your enthusiasm started airing in 2000 and the last season that just came out is season 10 it is now 2020 so there have been 10 intermittent seasons over 20 years and the show like has not changed like in terms of uh, co uh comedy getting different or it being worse or better, like, no, 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 no. The show is still fantastic. It's still usually, it's, it's, you know, it's Larry David. Like, Larry David is Larry David. That's his style of comedy, is Larry David, if that makes any sense. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I think that the way that, <laughs> the way that Larry David interacts with Los Angeles is incredibly Angelino. You know, he's like, let's go have a movie at the Cinerama see a movie at the Cinerama, oh no, we ran into somebody, I don't want to see his movie, blah, blah, blah. Like, the politics, the relationship politics of Los Angeles are very much apparent in that. A lot of location usage, location usage, wow, um, iconic locations, that kind of thing. Relationship politics, though, I think in Curb Your Enthusiasm are top-tier, like, representation for me. Um, obviously, I am not <laughs> Larry David or in that realm of actors, producers, writers, directors, etc. But, A, he puts real people in the show, which is, in my opinion, very, very important if you want to, like, uh, it's not asking you to suspend your disbelief, 
when you're looking at a representation of something that, like, he was trying to say about Los Angeles. And what I said at the beginning about, like, marrying Los Angeles as a, like, a satire that could be a form of truth, but also, like, kind of telling it through satire and through comedy, like, absolutely, Curb Your Enthusiasm hits that nail on the head so hard. I think that Curb Your Enthusiasm is probably one of the best representations of Los Angeles ever, which is hilarious, because, like, Sorry, David is very famously from New York, so, like, I don't know, he just, he killed it, so, like, thank you, Larry David, I love you, season 11, come soon, please, season, season 10 of Kirby Enthusiasm in 2020, 20 years after the show aired, was unbelievably good, it was fantastic, so, love it, anyway, I have two more to go, this is Arrested Development, so, absolutely, would absolutely say that uh, Arrested Development is supposed to be set in Newport Beach. I think a lot of it was filmed in Marina del Rey, if I'm not wrong. Some of it was filmed on, like, Balboa Island. Some of it was filmed in Huntington Beach, actually. But a lot of it was filmed closer to Los Angeles, which makes sense for filming purposes. Excuse me, I have to drink some water. Ah! Oh my god. Um, but... I would absolutely say that um, the whole notion of score being, like, this is going to sound ridiculous, but it's almost like a labyrinth situation. Like, the score for um, Arrested Development is David Schwartz, right? Did not get published, I think, until Netflix, did not, uh, they didn't release it until... Netflix, I think, acquired the rights. Like, it's just, like, a series of... Sort of... It uses instruments really interest Instruments really interestingly. It uses various different, like... Um, I don't... I, tonal patterns, I guess, is the best way to say it. In order to create transitions and create soundscapes for specific situations. And the motifs that occur in a Arrested Development situation are unreal like they are so good like the score for Arrested Development works so well because it doesn't even try to be a score it's a nice mix between sitcom sort of like uh the Seinfeld do 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 you know what I mean um and like being like a whole like piece like a whole like uh a uh, uh, series of sound effects or a whole like it it puts a very nice transitional piece without it sounding, I guess, too sitcom-y, you know? Like, it doesn't sound like it's supposed to be filmed in front of a live studio audience, a la Seinfeld, etc. I don't know, I think it works really well. Um, Arrested Development doesn't actually use... I don't think it uses... Before Netflix acquired the rights, I don't think it used a single song that was, um, like, licensed. I may be incorrect. I might be forgetting some very iconic song that was in it. I honestly would not be surprised with myself at this point. Um, but I think that Arrested Development's use of music and uh, David Schwartz's ability to score so many different types of music, or write so many types of music, um, so many like various genres within the same soundscape, very cool. 10 out of 10. Uh, Arrested Development definitely interacts with uh, uh, Newport Beach, Oh, yeah, the whole thing is centered around New York, Newport Beach, and, like, utilizing that as a, which is so funny that it, like, wasn't 
filmed in Newport Beach, but, like, it's, like, family, like, we had the banana stand there, like, we are the, oh, like, we run Newport Beach, but, like, we don't anymore because we lost all our money, and, like, it's all about who you know, and, like, that sort of thing, and it's, it's very, like, this is gonna sound weird, but it's, like, a funny version of Big Little Lies, because <laughs> it's, like, how do you, um, how do you, uh, 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 like, it's the same politics, you know what I mean? Like, there's no murder, you know what I mean? Actually, there is a murder in Arrested Development. Hmm, interesting. Um, but, like, there's no, nobody dies, you know what I mean? Like, there's no death in Arrested Development that is, like, the point of the whole season, you know what I mean? Like, it's very... Actually, no, that's not even true. Season four was that. I hate this. I hate, I hate it here. Um, but absolutely, no, I absolutely think that, um... Arrested Development's politics rely a lot on where it's set, so I would I would argue that it utilizes uh, Newport Beach as a huge uh, starting point for its narrative. I and I don't I actually didn't notice that for the few, first few times I watched it. I've watched Arrested Development so many times now, like I don't even I don't even know I've lost track. Um, but I absolutely absolutely think that uh, <laughs> I think that um. Uh, uh, I think Newport Beach plays a very large role in it, so I'm just gonna leave it at that. Um, last but not least, we have one of my favorite shows of all time about the Valley? Question mark. I don't know. Um, but this is Crazy Ex Girlfriend. So I included Wes Covina, um, which was most of this was written by Rachel Bloom. And a couple of co-collaborators. Sorry, I'm trying to pull my notes up. Yeah. So, um, sorry about that. Uh, I wanted to make sure I had all the right information. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is set in West Covina. And the whole point is that... Uh, Rachel Bloom's character Rebecca moves from West or for, moves from New York, leaves her like six figure salary job to chase this boy that she was in love with at summer camp when they were sixteen, who shows up in New York for some random reason back to his hometown to try and like get with him, like just in West Covina. Which, if you're from Los Angeles, like West Covina is like it's not Hollywood. You know what I mean? It's not like she's like oh let's do the Hollywood dream. No, no, no. it's like West Covina. It's this really, like, nice little town. Like, it's very, like, it's a big, like, it's a community. Like, people don't go to West Covina unless they want to go to West Covina. You know what I mean? For it being West Covina. Like, that's it. So it's like, why is she coming to West Covina? Like, it was very apparent that she didn't belong there. That kind of thing. And the soundtrack to this show is unbelievable. Now, it's a musical comedy. There's, like, two or three songs per um, episode. And they're all written by, I think, Rachel Bloom. There's a couple of other, I think Frank Campy. Um, and then, uh, okay, so this is, like, kind of sad. Um, but Adam Schlesinger, who actually died a couple of weeks ago, and that was, like, incredibly heartbreaking. Um, that really sucked. Um, but, yeah, Adam and, like, Rachel, like, wrote pretty much every single song in the show. And there are, like, hundreds of songs in the show. So, like, I don't know. I think the song usage is unbelievable. I think that the variety of genre works really well. 
there are so many songs about where they are. So many songs about like, there's a song about going to the beach, song about being stuck in traffic and wanting to like shove the person that you're stuck in traffic with out of the car. There's like the, the song I've included is literally called West Covina and how like Rachel Bloom's character, Rebecca is literally like dreaming of West Covina to be this heaven when like, it's kind of not cause it's like, it's her like, idealized version of something that doesn't exist you know like nothing could live up to her idealized version anyway um but yeah i think west covina plays a huge role in crazy ex-girlfriend and i not only just from a like premise point of the first season but like it's it's everywhere it's it's very clear that west covina and they make it very clear that west covina has created the characters that live there like that is their hometown that is the place they live and like a lot of it is like not only is uh rebecca falling in love with josh who's the boy um but she's falling in love with the place and it's really cool and that relationship is really beautiful like i am an absolute sucker for people having quote unquote relationships with their cities and like getting to know cities is like people and ecosystems and that kind of thing and that's why I like to talk about Los Angeles so much is because I am trying to cultivate a relationship with Los Angeles that's very different from the one that I grew up with just because it's different. I'm old now. No offense. Um, but yeah, that kind of wraps up our show. Um, if we're going to talk about how things interact, how we represent things, I think it's really important to consider what the narrative is trying to say. And if the narrative is acting in like contrast to how the show is, or the film is, uh, interacting with the city, if it's how it's interacting with Los Angeles, if Los Angeles is merely used as a prop, or, like, even a backdrop for a narrative, like, then it can go either way, like, it could be good or bad for what it is, but, like, keep in mind that anywhere something is set, it should be a part of the narrative, because that's, like, important. Where you live, what the environment around you is important. Like, maybe L.A. isn't the tar pit. Maybe you're the tar pit. But, like, you're still in L.A. You're still in the tar pits in L.A. Like, you gotta remember that. So, like, I don't know. I don't really believe when people say that their environments don't completely influence you. Like, no, they shouldn't make you who you are to the core, to the point where you believe that if you leave, like, you'll be a different person. No, but they definitely shape the way that you behave and the way you act and that kind of thing and I don't think it's fair to set a film anywhere where the place that they are like the characters are interacting with like isn't interacting back you know it, I don't know I don't know maybe I'm just saying things now I've been talking for like what 70 minutes I should probably I should probably go but thank you so much for listening I hope that makes sense I hope you watch things with a careful eye now. I hope that you are all doing well. I hope that things are feeling, I don't know, a little bit better for everybody. If not, I'm sending you a lot of love. Um, yeah, thank you so much for watching. Thank you for listening. I know there's nothing to watch. I appreciate you. Anyway, um, much love. I will see you in the next one. Goodbye.